It's going to be a little odd this morning. I don't even know what odd looks like anymore. So I find myself sharing a message very consistently. When it comes up like this, I know that it's designed from the heart of God to be given to the bigger audience, to the bigger group, instead of just so. For there's a few of you who are going to hear this and say it sounds very familiar because you heard it in my office. To get there, I'm going to have to step through some really major and significant teachings uh, very quickly to get to the message that God has for me this morning. So I apologize that I'm not going to be able to lay all the foundation I would like to lay, share everything I'd like to share about these first couple of points. Be glad to go back over with any of this with you at some point if it brings confusion or uncertainty, but I need to get through a couple of things quickly so that we can move on. For some of us, this teaching is very normal because it's been here through several different pastors, but to some it may, it may still be new. Two passages, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll go there first, and 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll go there second. But they tell us something very particular and very unique. It's a message only spoken to believers. Both of these letters, the first letter to the Corinthians and the second letter to the Corinthians, if we read the opening verses, we recognize that Paul, by the work of the Holy Spirit, is writing to believers. And so we know that this is talking to us. It's a letter relevant to you and I today as believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I will begin with verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, According to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So here we're introduced to something that for many Christians is brand new. This reality that as believers, not lost, as believers, there's coming a day when I'm going to stand on the judgment seat, the Bema seat of Christ. Not to determine whether I'm saved or lost, because again, only the saved are going to be there. So this isn't a question of my salvation. This isn't a question of am I going to heaven or not. But this truth hits us with great relevance. Just this reality. We have to understand that as a believer, there's going to be a day of accountability when I stand before Jesus. And in that moment, what will be a... The accounting will be done, not judgment, but the accounting will be done. It's what have I done with the life that God has given me since the day of salvation until the day that I stand there on the Bema seat. What has my life represented? What has my life accomplished? What has been done through me as I stand there in this moment of accounting between me and him? Every one of us are going to face that according to this scripture. I think that's what it says. For we must all, all believers, appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he has done, whether it be good or bad. That's a pretty simple announcement that that day is coming for every one of us. A day of accountability. We read it also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So let's go there beginning with verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds thereon. 
But let every man take heed how he builds thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So here's the warning of Paul. Every one of us as believers have a foundation now that is Jesus. He's saying that there can be no other foundation on which to build. But he says, be careful, because upon that foundation of Jesus Christ, we can build wrong. That's a clear announcement that Paul is making by the Holy Spirit. Yes, there's the foundation of Jesus Christ, but if we couldn't build wrong, this would be a strange warning. Paul is saying, take heed, be warned that you can build incorrectly on this foundation. And then he goes on to explain a little bit more. Verse 12, now if any man build upon this foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, that day, the day I just read about in 2 Corinthians, for the day, the day when of our accounting shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So here's the picture. That day of judgment for us, that day of accounting, we will stand before God, and, it's going to, and it will be as though our works are being tested by fire. If you put gold, silver, or precious stones in that fire, one thing's going to happen to them. If you put wood, hay, or stubble in the fire, another thing's going to happen to them. One will be purified, the other will be consumed. And he says we're capable of both kinds of work. We're capable of gold, silver, and precious stones. We're capable of wood, hay, or stubble. And he's telling us on that day, that particular day, there's going to be a discerning. It will be made manifest. What kind of work is it? What has our life, my life, your life stood for since we have been saved? We understand some things very simply. I would love to just camp right here and just preach for a long time, but I've promised in my part this morning I will be brief. But anything that we do trying to be good, anything that we do in and of ourselves trying to be good or godly before God, would hay or stubble. What we choose to let Him do through us, what we let him do as he comes into us and flows through us, that's gold, silver, and precious stones. And the outcome will be very different. And again, I wish I had time to say more. He goes on and says in verse 14, If any man's work abide, tested, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So if it's the Holy Spirit working through us, God working through us, these hands for him to work with, this heart for him to love with, this mouth for him to speak with, these eyes for him to see with, these feet for him to go with. All of those things that we read and understand and have been taught, when he does it, there will be a reward at the end of this. And then he says, if any man's shall, work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. This isn't salvation. This is about rewards, yet so as by fire. Know you not that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. So the judgment seat is a reality. We as believers will stand there. The outcome of that accounting will be rewards. There's going to be a, an accounting of my life before Christ on that day. And if that's the case, if I know that on that day there's a day of accounting, then I also desperately want to know upon what will I be measured how awful it would be to come to that day and say, God, nobody told me. Nobody told me that there was going to be this judgment seat. Nobody showed me in the scripture that we were going to stand at the bema before you on this day of accounting. 
Nobody told me how to receive this well done that you have said to others. And I'm standing here and I'm just at a total loss. Well, I don't want us to be at a total loss. I want us to understand. I want to understand myself and I want you to understand how on that day we hear from Jesus, well done, well done, a good and faithful servant. But how strange an equation when we say, okay, that's what we want to hear, but I don't have a clue. I can't articulate what God's looking for when he comes to that moment. So the next thing that we come to the reality very quickly, go with me to Colossians chapter one. Again, you'll understand in a minute why I'm trying to go quickly through these things. Colossians 1:25. Paul writes, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. To whom God would, listen to this, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What's he looking for? When I'm standing there, what's he want to see? He wants to see himself, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. It says it better here. Christ in me. He wants to look at me and see himself. He doesn't want to see someone who's working hard trying to be good. Someone who's coming to church. Someone who's who's giving a lot. It's not what he's interested in. That's us. And he says those will account to dirty rags, filthy rags. He wants to see himself. He paid a great price to clean me up so that the Spirit of God could come live in me so that the evidence of my life would be him and not me. Romans 8 verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, he tells this group of believers. You are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man has has not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. I don't know how we could confuse that. What has he done to prepare us for the judgment seat? He gave us the Spirit of God to live in me and through me so that my life could be the demonstration of him and not me. Take away my futile effort and allow the true power and authority of the Spirit to flow out of me, out of my hands, out of my heart, out of my mouth. The world does not need a single thing that Randy Winfrey can offer. The world does not need my opinion. It doesn't need my presence. What the world needs is for me to yield to the Spirit so by the Spirit of God, the Spirit has an opportunity to engage the world out there. He can make the difference I can't make. He can love in the ways I can't love. Forgive, heal, restore, deliver. He can do what I have no chance of doing. That's the difference. That's the measure. We find it in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. So there are two huge concepts that I've had to go through very, very quickly to get to what I want to share this morning. Here's the heart of what I need to say. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 in the Beatitudes says this. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, 
for they shall be filled. Hungry for what? Filled with what out of that verse? From 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There's an unmentioned reality about this earthen vessel. It says it very clearly. The great treasure is not the earthen vessel. How strange it would be for us to have a beautiful bouquet of flowers in here this morning and all of us stand around and ooh and awe about the clay pot that's holding it. The glory of the pot is that it gets to hold the treasure. But there's an unmentioned truth, strange, ob too obvious to even mention, but there's an unmentioned truth about this earthen vessel. Here's what it is. The top of that vessel must be open so that it can actually receive the treasure that needs to be put in it. That vessel has to have an opening or that treasure cannot be poured in. That treasure cannot be put into that opening. So this is, a, this is the best I can do this morning for an illustration. If I had a big jug of water, which of these two vases, both of them designed to hold flowers, which one of them can receive the water faster? This one, why? Because the mouth, the opening is bigger. Now, what a, what, it's, too, it's too simple a concept. Like, Randy, why in the world could this make any difference? Because we've read these scriptures about the fact that this is what God gives us. He gives us the spirit of adoption. He gives us the reality of being a son. He gives us his presence. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He pours into us all the goodness, the righteousness, everything that he has for us. He pours it into us. But what's making the huge difference now between you, you and I and all the rest of the Christian world? What's making the difference right now in the great impact that the church can make? It's that God is not only trying to pour something huge into an opening this size, but we have actually, by our ability, we have constricted the top so that his ability to pour in has almost become nothing. We are 100% in charge of how big this opening is. That's not him. His willingness to pour for me and for you is exactly a lot. He's not pouring out of one thing for me and pouring out of something for you. The great difference in all of us is how big is the opening in which he's trying to pour. And that is 100% without exception determined by us. I'm not trying to advocate whether someone should raise their hands before the Lord or not. That's not, what, that's not this illustration. But I can tell you, when I stand here and my feet get to dancing and my, I get to moving and because of the music and because of the praise, I want to tell you, when my hands go up like this, it's because I, I am to the best of my ability saying to the Lord, expressing from my heart, Lord, you see this funnel? You see by my uplifted hands how ready I am for you to pour in in this moment the great dynamic of who you are because I don't have any desire to stand there if it's up to me, my will, my message, my heart, my authority. If I don't stand before the Lord and receive all the fullness, I will have nothing to give you.
But I want to tell you, many of us, because of things I'll mention very briefly here in just a second, have lived very constricted before the Lord. And it doesn't change the fact that he's trying to pour in. I started to bring in two shakers, a pepper and a salt shaker, both the same size, both having equal capability. But if you're trying to pour through the holes in the lid of a salt shaker, whatever's going to go in is going to go in slowly. The other one, if you unscrew that lid and begin to pour, it will instantly be filled up and overflowing. It's all determined by the size of the hole at the top. And we are in control of that. No one else. He is not going to change how fast he wants to give it because of you and because of me. He's pouring it out on us regularly. Some have figured out how to stand openly as a funnel before the Lord. And some, because of reasons they're unaware of, have lived constricted. Let me mention a few of these and then I will be done with my part. My title this morning, and Jay mentioned it, Quench Not the Spirit, because that's what we're talking about. Don't constrict the Spirit. The number one thing that limits us, that I have discovered over the last two or three weeks, and and actually living this message with certain people in my office, the number one reason that we live a constricted life is based on how we see ourselves. Most of us, Declare over ourselves, I'm broken, I'm worthless, I'm confused, I'm hurt, I'm angry. Every one of those things that we declare over ourselves causes that squeezing down because I don't see myself in a position to be receiving anything of God. I see myself as broken. I see myself as confused. I see myself as angry. I announce over myself that I'm frustrated. Every one of those things that we announce begins to shrink the size of that hole. How we see him as a master who's trying to get us to serve and we're not serving and he lives angry at us will cause the top of that to be constricted instead of understanding that he is my father and I get to live openly before him. We see him as a master and not a father. This is one that I find particularly frustrating, but not so much here, but in the, in the world, a religious spirit where we're trying to determine within a church what we should do and what we shouldn't do instead of letting God be who he is and let us be who we are in relationship to him. Everything that we do trying to define those things becomes a constriction and, and changes our ability to receive what God wants to pour in. Our judgment and our condemnation of others causes constriction. Skepticism. And trying to approach God logically and make sense of everything causes the constriction. Fear and prejudice cause constriction. The brokenness of my past and the uncertainty of my future. What, you know, where's my security coming from? All of those things cause us to be constricted. And God says, I have come to overcome every one of those things. I am bigger, greater, more dynamic than every one of those things and you can live openly before me because I am ready, willing, fully capable of pouring in everything into you right now. Right now, if we can drop the, the things that have held us bondage, the things that have been chains around our neck and around our feet, the fear that we have felt, All of those things, when we will just by the Spirit, let them drop. There will be an openness about us and God can begin to pour in. I had someone in my office a week and a half ago. 
just marveling at some of the things that was happening in their life. And I said, it's amazing how much you have changed, how much God has done. And they said, yeah, I've changed a little. And I said, if you stand this guy up against the guy that I met four years ago, I guarantee you, you will say more than God has changed you a little. Every ounce of that change has been because in a person's life, the more willing I am to stand open before the Lord, to let him pour things into me, the more dynamic the difference will be in my life and the life of others around me. All depending on how open I am. And I tell you, some people live with so much hurt, so much guilt, so much fear, so much shame, that they live like this before the Lord. He's desperately trying to pour in. And it hits the top and a little bit comes in, a little bit sinks in, but the rest of it just runs off. And God is saying, I would love to take the lid off for you, but that is your choice. That is your will as to how open you're going to be before me. And here's the sad commentary that I will conclude with. That everything that causes us to, to be restricted and constricted with God will cause us to be constricted and restricted with those people around us. Every one of those things will become evident out here. So when I have freedom here, guess what? I have freedom here. Freedom with you. I didn't share at the end of my message last week, but I'll just end with it this time. And then Tim's going to come and share. I'm not really very afraid for God to find out the wrong things I've done. I'm really afraid for you to find out. That doesn't say anything about you. That says there's still something wrong between me and him. Am I forgiven? Yes. And that's not dependent on you. But if I know I'm forgiven, I can live freely before you without the fear that you're going to discover anything about me. I can tell you, I don't want to live. I don't want us to live in uncertainty and fear with each other based on the fear or uncertainty that we have with our Father. When I'm open here, receiving here, there will be no way to stop it from pouring out on you. No way to stop it. Tim, you come. Everything has been said this morning. For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unsp in unspiritual way. Since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but, aren't pow but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. And we're ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience has been confirmed. Uh, I went on a walk this last weekend. And, yeah, if I wasn't in the spot that I'm in now, there is no way, there is no way possible I could have ministered to some of those men. But here's the thing that hit me. And it, yeah, he, he has been bugging me all week. He has not left me alone. I couldn't even concentrate at work. So, y'all look at the cross. Don't look at me, because this is not me. The first thing that you see when you look at that, I hope that it's, or I pray that it's not Christ still hanging there. Because if it is, then like Randy said, there are still sins that are still just sitting there. And we are able to reach up and just take them back. If we look up and we see just a cross, then every time that we mess up, then we, sh then we should know that it's, that it's gone. 
And here's here's the thing that, and this was, these were some of the things that were brought up several times. Alcohol. There's some that deal with that. You know, you can't just say, okay, God, take this from me, but wait, let me finish this drink first. <laughs> you can't, that, no, that's not how it works. So there was alcoholism. There was pornography. Wow, yeah, that one hit. I was raised up with that junk. I had a grandfather that, yeah, from when I was that big. So I was always exposed to it, and I dealt with it for a long time. You know, then you had, and this one, men, this one would really get you, work. And some of them said that several times, and I'm like, work? I'm like, how is that a sin? Well, here's the deal. We, we take that work, and we're trying to hide things, so we think, well, I'll just spend more time at work because it keeps my mind busy. Well, that's no, because when we do that, then we're taken away from family. And so that's, that's not what it's meant to be. I mean, yeah, we provide for our families, put a roof on their heads, but there's times when you can take the cell phone and leave it. You can turn the TV off. I mean, you know, there's things like that. But then, too, the big thing is that not just all the stuff that we, that we put up there, we have to forgive ourselves for that junk. We can't hold on to it. we got to let that junk go. And then if we are able to let it go with ourselves, it just doesn't affect him. It affects everybody else, our family. And then for all the ones that it affects, you should be asking for forgiveness from them. Angela, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry for all the dumb things I've done. But if I wasn't at the spot I'm at now, there is no way, no way that I could have responded to some of those guys there. Because I know one, he was, our, he was my roommate. And I'm one of those, I wake up way early. So I was the first one awake every morning. Don't know what time it is. I'm sitting there drinking coffee by myself. Okay, that's good. Well, at night, I go in. I'm ready to go to sleep. I'm tired. Not him. He wants to talk. But the things that he needed to unload, if I was going through a bunch of junk, I would not have heard a thing he said. I don't know, all I can say is, wow, everything that's been said this morning, it all ties together. And we've been told, this is a hospital, and we have physicians in this room, but if you have junk that you're holding on to, you are not very effective. You just got to let it go. Got to. I hope you get this picture. It's a very plain one. When you look at the cross, you recognize it's empty. If you picture Jesus still on it, then your sins are still as active and unforgiven as they were that day. But the fact that the cross is empty says for anyone who believes, your sins have been forgiven. They have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And if you're beating yourself up with them, you're taking something that God sacrificed his son to deal with and you're holding on to it. Beating yourself up with it, as Tim said, when people stand here 
as ministers, if we haven't forgiven ourselves and let this stuff go, we're very ineffective because everything that somebody says to us is being processed through the sin of my own life. The guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, whatever it happens to be. My prayer for you this morning is that when we begin to sing, come to the altar, spend a moment. You don't have to be here long. It doesn't take long to say, Lord, I'll lay this stuff down. And I will not beat myself up or hold, my, hold it against me anymore. And, and just watch so that you can receive everything that God has. He wants so badly to pour into us healing and forgiveness, joy and peace, love and kindness. He wants to pour in His presence. 